0: This is Jules Taylor. I just wanted to say thank you for your continued support. It really makes all the difference in the world, and I can't tell you how much we appreciate it. Be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast. Tell your friends, and if you haven't done so already, please consider becoming a supporter of the podcast by heading to www.anchor.fm forward slash no easy answers and click the support button. We couldn't do it without you. Here's episode 12 in its entirety. You know, I find that songwriting and your songwriting ability is directly connected to how good you are at empathy and likewise poetry because you want to be able to read poetry or listen to a song and you're looking for a reflection of yourself, of your lived experience or your own human condition. But it's all like this alchemy, this sort of kind of like an eightfold path to like developing your empathy, your songs get better and then you're able to understand the world more. Today is Saturday, November 21st, the year is 2020. This is No Easy Answers and I am your host Jules Taylor. Today, like all days, I have No Easy Answers for you. So today on the show we're going to be doing things a little bit differently. This is the point in the show where I'd normally introduce the premise of the episode and introduce our guest. But instead I wanted to take this time to make an announcement. I was approached by my friend and comrade Dr. Maximilian Alvarez about producing his podcast which is called Working People. I was a guest on his show back in the spring and so I was already familiar with his show's scope and format. I was already a fan of Max's work and I was already in love with the concept of a podcast being dedicated to the lives, jobs, dreams and struggles of the working class. So all of this was just a natural fit and of course I said yes. Recently, Max released a bonus episode to his Patreon subscribers, where he interviewed me as an introduction to his audience. And so now, in this episode, I'm releasing his episode here as a crossover, so that the audience for No Easy Answers can get to know Max, his show, and maybe our listenerships can cross-pollinate a little bit. I love it when podcasts collaborate and release bonus episodes, and we haven't done something like that yet. So I figured this would be a great time to have our first collaborative episode. So here's my conversation with my friend and comrade, Dr. Maximilian Alvarez, as part of a bonus episode of his podcast called Working People.
1: Alright, welcome everyone to another special bonus episode of Working People, a podcast about the lives, jobs, dreams, and struggles of the working class today, brought to you in partnership with In These Times Magazine. Uh, We are doing things a little bit differently today, Um, so as you'll kind of notice as you're listening to this, uh, I'm not kind of doing a pre-recorded intro for this bonus episode. We're, We're trying to kind of test out um, and see how it works if I kind of fold the intro into the interview for today. And I guess I just wanted to explain for for all of our great patrons out there that, um, you know, we are entering uh, a really exciting new phase of the show uh, where we're kind of, you know, trying a couple things out, trying to mix things up, try to really kind of elevate the show give it more of a professional feel, you know, really take this thing into the stratosphere. We've got, we've got three seasons and, you know, three and a half, uh, going on four years under our belt, uh, close to 200 episodes and bonus episodes and mini casts. So, you know, we've, we've done a lot of great stuff. We're, we're really excited about all of it, but, um, you know, now, you know, with me, you know, getting this new job at, uh, being the editor-in-chief at The Real News and with everything being kind of as crazy as it is, you know, I've been telling y'all on the Patreon feed for for years now, right, that, like, if we can build up the, the subscriber base enough that that would allow us to kind of invest more of that money into the show, um, get better equipment, and get transcripts of the interviews up on a, a nicer website— And most importantly, um, get a producer to really help me out with shit because I've needed one for a long time. And I could not be more excited to to let y'all know that we have now a new official producer. Uh, He is the one that I'm talking with today, and I want to let him introduce himself to y'all. So, um, yeah, Jules, why don't you uh, introduce yourself to the good patrons?
0: All right. Well, thanks, Max. Uh, My name is Jules Taylor. Um, I am a sound engineer, musician, a podcaster, a writer, a philosophy nerd, um, and a songwriter. And um, I am now the producer of this show. So I'm going to make sure everything sounds great and uh, work with the editing and do all those things that a uh, a polished podcast should, should have the whole way around. And I'm really excited about it. Um, I've, uh, I've known Max for a little bit over Twitter and he actually invited me on uh, one of the shows when we did a, uh, when he did the, the COVID uh, essential workers show. Um, so I, I feel like this is, um this is a really cool pairing and I'm just really excited about the possibilities and, uh, and, and yeah, I guess that's what I have to say about that.
1: Hell yeah. Now, like, I mean, we figured that... You know, where Jules and I have been kind of scheming and and plotting out um, season four of the show, which uh, is going to be coming uh, very, very soon. Um, we're hoping within um, the next two weeks to kind of really launch the, the next season of the show. Um, but we figured, you know, until we get there, uh, you know, since uh, our patrons, um, you know, have been loving and supporting us all this time. And, you know, we want to always kind of make sure we got bonus content up on the Patreon feed for y'all. We figured this would be a great opportunity to kind of get Jules on, learn more about him. And yeah, talk a little more about uh, the show itself, where we've been, where we're going, and uh, where we, are able to go now because we have Jules and his expertise uh, kind of on the team, and so you know again I just really wanted to underscore uh, for for everyone listening that we could not have brought Jules on without your help, all your love and your support and your Patreon subscriptions over the years. Um, it's been it's been a long uphill climb to get kind of like the number of subscribers we have now. Uh, which, like you know, it's it's still, still you know, pales in comparison to to I think where we want to be. But it's like we we love and value and appreciate everyone who has kind of thrown down and and thrown their support behind this show, um, it, it's it's truly kind of an honor to see, you know, look back and see how this thing has grown, uh, really connect with the people who listen to it regularly and who, you know, give us five to ten bucks of their hard-earned cash every month to keep the show going and and to help us keep getting better. And so... I won't gush too much because uh we're here to kind of talk about jules and talk about the show but again i just really really wanted to thank everyone listening uh for all your love and support it means the world to us and uh, we're gonna make you proud we got we got a lot of exciting stuff coming up in the next season um and and jules is really gonna help us spearhead that um and yeah Jules, like you said um listeners may actually kind of recognize your voice if uh if they listen to the the two part kind of COVID episodes that we did um back in late spring when the pandemic was really kind of just kicking off and and now uh you know it's like we're we're entering i don't know what fucking wave of the pandemic we're entering now but it's a very very scary one the numbers are spiking uh and that's incredibly scary for a thing that grows exponentially but um, I guess I don't want to. I don't want to start off on too dour of a note. So let's let's take a step back. <laughs> let's take a step back and get to know uh, a little more about you. Um, uh, like we said, we got Jules Taylor, uh, musician, audio engineer. Uh, Jules has his own podcast called No Easy Answers. Which uh, if if listeners you know like like this show, I think that you will really really love Jules's podcast. Um, you know he has long in-depth conversations with with friends and um, you know, they get really, I think, personal and nuanced and and you know, it's the kind of conversations that you don't get to hear a lot on podcasts. And it's also the kind of conversation that I, I find really nourishing, especially in times like these when uh, you know, I can't see my friends or family, uh, who are far, far away and all that stuff. So, Jules, let's let, let's talk a little bit about you. Let's talk about like your your uh, path to kind of getting into music, getting into audio stuff. Let's start small. Where are you from?
0: All right. So, I am originally from Lyford, Texas. That is in the Rio Grande Valley. Um, that is really getting hit hard by. Covid right now. Um, not to start out in too tower of a note. No, as you as you mentioned. Uh, but yeah. So I'm from the Rio Grande Valley. I moved to Phoenix for school and ended up in Nashville after that for about ten years. And I worked in studios there. And now I'm in upstate New York near Woodstock. Um, and I guess music has always been part of my life. It kind of uh once I started writing songs, uh, it it kind of just became the only thing I did for a while, I was really obsessed over the process. And ultimately that led me to, uh, audio engineering school and, uh, living in Nashville and being an engineer there. And it wasn't until I moved to New York in somewhere around 2012 or so that, uh, I decided to refocus what I was doing with my career and turn away from engineering, uh, to being an artist. Um, and so, the albums and music that I've released, um, is, is based on that focus because I I just figured I'd worked on a whole bunch of other records and, uh, why didn't I work on my own records? And, uh, so that was a, that was the whole process of, you know, generating the songs and material that would, um, that would be worthy in a, in a sort of self-centric, uh, sort of way. Like you have to, you have to, produce art, which corresponds to your own taste. And and sometimes that process isn't as easy as one might think, but, uh, when you ultimately get or create art that you feel is on par with your own taste or your own standards, uh, for what you would listen to, then I think it's, um, that's how, or that's what ultimately pushed me to become more of a, uh, of an, of, of an artist other than an engineer because i wanted to to be able to do that and uh traverse that sort of uh sea of of artist uh, artistic creation it's it's really difficult i mean i spent a lot of time in my head thinking about songs and word smithing you know um but ultimately that's it's i've always been a songwriter um songwriting is what drove me into music and it's what's move me across the country and music has, uh, provided me with a lot of experiences in life that I don't think I would have had otherwise. Um, including, you know, this point now being working with you, Max and and working people, because, um, if it wasn't for my, uh, I guess my path through music and, and audio, um, I wouldn't be here now. So I'm just it's I'm, I'm continually renewing my sort of gratitude towards like what music has done for me in my life and what a powerful force it is. And uh, all of that starts with a song. And, and for me, th- this entire adventure I've been on in my 37 years on this planet has been uh, has been because I was a songwriter. So.
1: So I got so there's a lot there that that I can like relate to very personally. Right. Because and and this is like another selfish reason that I really enjoy listening to your podcast. Um, I mean, because there's also just like kind of a lot of life overlap there. Right. I mean, um, Mm. I was even listening to not the most recent episode of yours, but I think the one just before that where you were talking to an old an old pal of yours from the Rio Grande Valley. And, um, you know, like like me, you guys are both uh, mixed race, half white, half Mexicano. And, and you guys were talking about that. You were talking about, uh, you know, hell raising in high school and, and kind of clashes with uh, with your parents and, and kind of the conservative elements of, you know, guardians and, and elders and stuff like that. And so anyone who listens to this show will know that the, there's a lot there that I can relate <laughs> to. Um, but also like just on on that. Like you were saying, that kind of artistic and and philosophical level. So you know, I'll, I guess I'll be up front, and and we if we're gonna be if we're gonna be working together, I guess I might as well get this out now, right? Is like, you know, growing up, I always hated musicians um, mm. because I was very jealous of them <laughs> because like music, <laughs> music, I just could never ever ever wrap my head around it. Like, I don't think I've ever told this story on the show before, but. Um, you know, my mom played the flute when she was a kid, and she really loved playing the flute. Um, And so she had always, like, hoped that she could pass on her flute to one of her children. And so she tried with my oldest brother, Jesse, uh, no dice. Then she tried with uh, my brother, Zach, no dice. And so I was the only one who showed, like, a little bit of interest in playing just any instrument. And so I remember this moment in my childhood where my mom, like, you know, took me, uh, you know, through her bedroom into like uh, her and my dad's closet. She like got this box in the very back of the closet. She like blew the dust off it and like opened it, and there was just this like old, you know, dinky flute that she had had. And she was like, it was just such a big moment of like passing it on to me. And then you like smash cut to me like in junior high music lessons, uh, you know, with the rest of the class. I didn't like. I mean, the thing might as well have been a screwdriver. Like, I didn't know what to do with <laughs> it. Like, I was just, like, I would just blow into it. Nothing would come out. And so I just started making the tones with my with my mouth. I'd be like, whoop. And, then, <laughs> and that, that, was a, that was as close as I got to playing an instrument. <laughs> and, and so, like, it was always, uh, yeah, like, I guess being myself uh, a very artistic kid, Um, being I think a very philosophical kid like my mom very much taught me to love and embrace art Uh, I was a huge bookworm Um, I was always I think looking for some medium of artistic expression and I guess I was just always really uh, kind of upset that music could not be that for me Uh, but um, poetry ended up being that medium for me for a long time like so that's what I was thinking about when you were talking about kind of getting in your head and thinking about songs and stuff is like that really resonated with me because I have, I have all these old notebooks from shit. Like even when I was in elementary school all the way up to like college, like, yeah, it, it was just writing poetry and, and it was just a way for me to kind of like absorb language from all the books I was reading, the movies I would watch. And then I would try to kind of mimic what I felt like, you know poetic uh word choice was and flow was and like there was just this constant back and forth of trying things out um that you know i think is probably the closest besides sports maybe that's the closest i've ever got to like feeling that rush of of musical creation i guess as as it were
0: sure um you know i i, I that resonates with me too when you talk about poetry as um, some sort of creative outlet um, because I was I was very interested in poetry uh, as well. I mean, my mother uh, is an English teacher, and so there wasn't anything else to do when I was a kid but read. And I, I took up creative writing pretty young, and uh, you know they have these sort of what they call in Texas UIL, which is like just shorthand for when they take all the nerdy elementary school kids to a (laughs) campus somewhere and they compete uh, in different things academically on like a Saturday. And I I started winning those creative writing contests when I was young and it was, um, you know, if I was in a psychoanalyze myself, I'd say, Oh, you started writing because that's how you gained your mother's approval, you know, sort of thing. And, and likewise with reading, it was, um, it was something that she greatly approved of when I was like, Eight and I'm like, Mom, do you have a copy of Moby Dick or The Scarlet Letter? Or, you know, when I was, at, I was like, Do you have War and Peace? I think I can make my way through that. Um, <laughs> you know, so, so I was really nerdy from a young uh, age, and poetry interested me. Um, uh, but but also I, I had this sort of revelation pretty pretty young, where I thought, Yeah, man, poetry is really difficult. Okay. But you know, what's more difficult than poetry is trying to match poetry to melody. Um, and I'm the I'm the only musician in my family, so I don't know how um, that came about. I remember having uh, memories uh, early in my childhood listening to like Hotel California and being upset with their lyrics because. It, it, I, when they say some dance to remember some dance to forget, I didn't understand what the hell they were talking about. And I'm like, you know, that's really weird. There's a lot of songs that I don't understand what the lyrics mean. And I don't think that's right. And it's not a good song. Anyway, so it seems like this, this thing was always built into me. Um, But I've found as I've gotten older and, uh and, and, you know, as, as I've gotten older, the, the, and things in the world have become more, um, Deciphered in a way, um, you know. I find that songwriting and your uh, your level of songwriting ability is directly connected to uh, how good you are at empathy, and and likewise poetry because you want to be able to read poetry or listen to a song and you're looking for a reflection of yourself, of your lived experience, or your own human condition um, within any sort of literary work or song you're listening to um you know there's there's a thing i saw a while back where like the the top 40 songs at any given point uh usually uh within the first 30 seconds they use the word you uh within their lyrics because it's a way of inviting the listener in um so i think that you know the the beauty part of the beauty and the pro uh why poetry and songs are profound is because there's a reflection in that and so so songwriting is also you know you have to continually replenish the well of material and some some songwriters do that by uh, reading other people just um, have a deep well on their own um, and so I, I'd like to think that I'm kind of in the middle of those things from childhood and lived experience, but also um, trying to take in and replenish that well with, with books, whether it's philosophy or I I hardly read fiction anymore, but uh, a lot of theory, political theory. Um, But it's all like this alchemy, this sort of kind of like an eightfold path to like developing your empathy, your songs get better, and then you're able to understand the world more. And and it kind of just cycles for me, and and so that's why songwriting in in so many different ways is at, at the center of what I do. Like I consider myself more of a songwriter than a musician. Um, but I but I you know I I I think that in order to find the best way to reflect the listener, I I look at the music as a way of like trying to match the sentiments of the lyrics, like it, that sort of process of matching the melody or chords to lyrical structure is, is something that fascinates me. Um, so I think it's always something that, you know, that I'll do. Um, and, and I know this is a long winded way of saying this stuff, but I will just say that like during, during the the whole pandemic, I found it like a lot of other creative folks. I found it difficult to, uh, make songs, to, to, to write songs, to be, to have a creative output. So I, I, I I tried to switch things up and I formed a podcast and, Part of that podcast, part part of the part of the intention of the podcast um, is because I have friends like you were mentioning. My friend Brandon uh, in the Rio Grande Valley, Uh, he is a survivor of. uh, he, He was the recipient of a donor liver, and so I know that he's you know faced mortality. And and the interview before that was uh, with my friend, Nick, who's a cancer survivor, and he's gone on to be a competitive bodybuilder. Um, So both of these guys had uh, confronted their own mortality and lived to tell about it. And their lives are shaped, they're reshaped and transformed or re-territorialized in in a way uh, within that context. And uh, so the podcast is, is an extension of that sort of practicing empathy and, and gaining a a greater capacity for empty or for, for empathy. And, uh, and it's, it's, I feel, I feel like it's related to songwriting in, in in a way just because it's, it's speaking to, in a few episodes, it's it's examining the humanity of, of folks with unique, unique lived experiences. Um, and so So I, I, I'm i really thankful to the guests that have entrusted me with their stories. And part of the reason why I wanted to work with you and working people is because I realized that you have curated these sort of relationships with your listeners and patrons for so uh, long that they entrust you with their stories and um, entrust you with your platform uh, to uh, do things that are uh, that are good for them, that are nurturing, that are loving, that are, um, important. And, and so that's part of my admiration for you, Max, is just that you have curated such a unique thing. And, and that's also why I'm excited to, to work, uh, with you and is also weirdly an extension of songwriting for me as well. So.
1: Hell yeah, man. Well, I mean, you know, I imagine that, uh, listeners after, after kind of hearing you talk just now, will will like there will be no question in their mind about why we felt this was like uh, a good partnership, right? It's like I think that <laughs> you know, we, we are um yeah, very much on on the same wavelength, not only in kind of terms of how we kind of approach the the medium, but also, you know, like with the yeah, the 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 seriousness and, and the the beauty, the serious with the seriousness with which we approach kind of these conversations and the the ways that you know we see them as kind of being connected to you know these other forms of of art and and empathy as you said and and so i really i want to i want to circle back to that in a second because i think it's like a great bridge for us to kind of you know talk a little bit about a little more about your podcast and about you know what we want to do with with working people and all that stuff but i guess before we get there I feel like I have to kind of jump back real quick and further explain okay. myself <laughs> because because the the episode that you did with with your friend Brandon I think makes this point entirely clear, right? Because I guess I just wanted to be even more upfront and say that another big reason why I hated musicians for so long, right, is because like you said <laughs> like through poetry and stuff like that like that was that was yeah how I built my empathy muscles it's how i learned by reading mm. the poetry of others and and noticing what i felt were kind of like moments of poetry in other mediums right that i would always take note of and stuff like that yeah and so like obviously as a, as a teenager especially right like you're trying to show you know people that that you you are that caring kind of empathetic person that if a friend or a girl that you like or a guy that you like like you know has you know, you know, you want to talk to them, you want to connect with them, but you're awkward and and you don't know how to show that to them. Right. You just you hope that maybe the poetry will show that for them. Right. But obviously it doesn't work that way as well as it does for musicians. And so I was always pissed in high school that like all the girls that I liked, they always fell for like the, the, the dumbass like musicians in my high school. <laughs> Who I was like that guy like that guy has as much empathy as like you know (laughs) like like a like a puddle puddle on the street like that guy is a meathead why are you why are you why are you saying that that guy is so deep when like you know he's an idiot (laughs) right so like and it was funny to hear you and Brandon kind of on that episode talk about. I think there was that one story where you like you you were taking your prom date to the park because you were gonna serenade her because you even said he's like oh yeah music was was how I learned how to get chicks and then like your friend <laughs> <laughs> then your friend like takes your guitar so I don't know it just it really kind of brought all that back up for me.
0: <laughs> oh well, dude, you know I I will tell you and this is this is why that works out to be the way it is, man. Is I, I you know if you let's say you're a novelist, right? It's really difficult to like. Be like hey man i've got this 400 page manuscript would you be a friend and read this and offer me uh critical feedback i mean that's that's a really big thing to ask of someone you know um and maybe if you're a painter um you kind of have the opposite end of that where somebody can look at that and that experience can be as i mean it can be a second it can be a moment it could it could be you know a few minutes of staring at it but it's still uh, kind of. It's it's not certainly not like a novel, which takes you know hours and 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 real cognitive effort. Um, but music seems to hit this sort of medium of where it's like it's not it's not hard to ask someone, hey, do you have three minutes and thirty seconds? And there's the aid of melody that uh, creates certain feelings or um is emotive in certain ways. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the entire song, which is impactful. It could be, you know, the last line of the second verse that really hits close to home. And now that person feels like, you know, them because they had a reflection of themselves. Um, so that and, and believe it or not, man, I mean, I, I mean, so I, I would say that's why music seems to to be uh, received by <laughs> by by women or by people you know <laughs> in the way that it is um but but I will say that you know believe it or not man um as a musician myself trying to hone my craft as a songwriter and and all that stuff um i i still was like why are you going after that guitar player he plays a bc rich or he (laughs) plays a, you know like why are you going after that dude who plays shitty punk rock like not there's anything wrong with punk rock but there's it just seems like when you're in high school and you're playing punk rock it's like i i you know i was over here trying to learn how to play john mayer and and dave matthews band and uh stuff like that which is incredibly challenging stuff um and you know like i'm a guitar player man but i'm i i'm i'm not like a a lead guitar player slash kind of guy that's like never been the angle that i've that i've wanted to identify with or did identify with it was always like the uh uh the, the songwriter that that really poured out his heart um And, and showed you a piece of himself and was vulnerable and, and that in itself, man, is, is, it's taken a lifetime to sort of, uh, become that person, uh, because, you know, I, I had to work through a great deal of stage fright. Um, I, the first time I heard my voice played back, I damn near quit music completely. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, uh. And some days I wake up and I'm like, do I really sing in public for people at times? That's what I do. I mean, I, I'm a cigarette smoker. I'm a coffee drinker. I, you know, I'm like, what is it that do-? my voice is a little, uh, I don't know. It's a weathered voice. I don't really have that much of a range. Um, so I'm not, I'm not like spectacular at anything that I do, but I um, but I think it's the intention and I think it's the, um, the delivery and, and I think in a, in a, in a way society is yearning to kind of just be post irony. Like we're tired of the irony and we're all wanting a sort of newfound sincerity. Um, and so all of a sudden, uh, it's, I, I kind of resent the fact that all of a sudden it's, it's hip to be vulnerable, uh, in public in a way. Um, But that's that's all I've ever wanted to be is 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 a person that was sort of fearlessly vulnerable and communicates to the human condition and and I hope through some of my music I'm doing a good job at that sort of thing you know.
1: Oh yeah, no, I mean that that you know that really really strikes a chord right because um, you know it's funny intended (laughs) exactly. Um, but I mean this is, this is like something that's that's come up you know on on this show you know a number of times in the past, right is you know I remember uh, back in like the early um, days of like the 2020 election cycle when we were still in the primaries, right we we had kind of some really fun crossovers with other podcasts and magazines like you know we did a big episode with Lida. Gold from Current Affairs, uh Brian from strike wave, Mel from Protean, um, you know, Zoe from Season of the Bitch, like just, you know, a really, really great collection of people. And we were trying to figure out what to call ourselves, right? And so, like, in that time, we we threw out the suggestion that we were the sincere core left. <laughs> nice. <Right? laughs> nice. Yeah. yeah. And so I feel like that, you know, I I I yeah, agree with you that I I do think that um that you know we we kind of explored um you know the the outer reaches of irony and i mean there's there's obviously you know it's it's one uh it's one flavor in kind of this like vast cornucopia of of flavors and feelings and and experiences that you know i don't want to write off entirely but i think that yeah at some point in the past few years we kind of realized that we were hitting kind of a ceiling with, with what irony could do um before it started kind of eating away at us. And I and I've always yeah, very much subscribed to kind of that uh that that openness, that that vulnerability, that sincerity that you were talking about. And it's it's largely what has kind of led me to connect with and, and collaborate with a lot of the people that I have over the past, yourself included, because I'm just naturally drawn to that, and and I think that anyone who listens to this show is as well, because that's really what what the show, the whole show is about, right? Is like, you know, I, I I'm asking kind of working people, most of whom have never met me in person, to share their stories, to be vulnerable um, with me and with listeners, and and to try to offer that in return when when I am kind of their their discussant, right? And you know i think that it's you know the the the, the i've talked at length uh, kind of about why i think that is like politically valuable and necessary like how it fits into a larger socialist kind of project you know i won't go into that here but like you know if if we're going to kind of um fight the enemies that we clearly have and and kind of reshape the future in a way that is more just and sustainable, um, then we have to kind of find ways to build that sort of, you know, human solidarity with one another across, you know, like our differences in race, ethnicity, language, age, uh, location, life experience, all that stuff, right? We, we still need to do the active, patient, tender work of, of finding those chords, right? Like you were saying, mm. like with music, is like finding finding those things in conversation, in literature, in art, in music, those things that, you know, those chords that when you pluck them, they, they tap into something that I think is really deep, really rich, you know, and that really, really reminds you of your humanity and of our kind of shared humanity, because with that comes like the added, you know, recognition, you know, that that we deserve more than this, right? If if human beings are are capable of kind of recognizing this thing inside of us, right? If if we are capable of expressing and connecting with, you know, I guess what we what we call beauty, right? Then, right. then we honor we then it's incumbent upon us to honor that beauty with uh, you know, kind of allowing people to live with the kind of dignity and, and self-fulfillment and community, you know, and and stability that, you know, beings capable of such beauty deserve and, and, you know, deserve when they are living in a world that is like overflowing with beauty that, you know, we are a part of.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, um, I will say that I think part, for me, a large part of even being available or having the capacity to embrace a world that is like that is ours to win and a world of possibilities and a world that's overflowing with beauty um to 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 arrive at a point where i actually was able to believe those things and be capable of believing those things i think a large part of that had to do with Deciphering the world around me, which is part of one of the beautiful things about, about the teachings of Marx, is that um, when you start looking at the world and history and culture through a Marxist lens, um, it really is one. it's magical the way that it, it can reform the world around you in a way that you can trace, as opposed to. Um, some of the ideologies that are around today where I, I think the fundamental anxiety of a lot of folks is is stems from, however consciously or subconsciously, uh, from not understanding the way the world is structured, operates, and reproduces itself. Um and when you look at folks that are very into conspiracies with the QAnon crowd, with the Illuminati people, all these like conspirac- conspiratorial things. I think it's kind of the equivalent of like swinging in the dark, you know, like not just, just not knowing how things are structured and it's easy to explain it away by some nefarious cabal or something. It's, you know, those things, I mean, people get something out of believing in those things and that is that they get to work by those definitions and, and those sort of uh, territories within life. Like they, they map out how they perceive reality and the world and how it operates via these sort of descriptions, you know, that they subscribe to. And, and so they get a a, a sense of maybe capital T truth, a sense of that from it. Uh, um, and so I, I think to, to come to a logically sound, uh, way of perceiving the world in a way that leaves you more sincere and uh championing things like uh you know uh uh, generosity kindness compassion all those things um a big part of that is is deciphering core questions like do you believe that human beings are fundamentally good well why not and is that based on the system you live in or is that is that a genuine I mean, even just deciphering, like, is it society, is it conventionalism that leads you to think these things, or is it a genuine, you know, self belief that you've generated, you know, like, and, and questioning uh, yourself with, with questions that are, that are difficult to answer and perhaps unsettling to ask, um, which is, you know, philosophy in general. Um, But yeah, like I. I really try to curate and search for folks around me, um, like yourself that, that put these things as like, uh, as a non-negotiable, uh, quality of character, you know, like, do you have a capacity for empathy? Do you, um, are you able to connect with other human beings in a way that sort of, uh, illustrates, the, the sort of precariousness of the human condition, you know, the, uh, the sort of thrownness that we are into this life, like not knowing where we came from or where we're going or why we're here. Um, and, and just being able to resonate with other human beings in that context is, I mean, I, I most of my friends that I, and I have a small circle that I keep, but uh, they, I, I would consider them in that camp that, um, uh, that, that champions those sort of things.
1: Right. And I mean, like, you know, even, even if like, you know, we, we don't all kind of, sit and, and try to kind of think about it in these terms, right? I mean, I think this goes back to what you were talking about, about how you flex those empathy muscles, right? And how you try to make those, um, empathic connections with people through music, through art and, and through, you know, what I, you know, see as like, you know, I, what, I guess what I would call the literary, right? You know, in my daily life, right? Um, because I think it's, um, even if we don't call it that, right, like it's still something that we recognize, right? Like, and this goes back to, all the way back to like, you know, why why do, you know, all these kind of emotionally uh, volatile teenagers in high school, why do they respond so much to kind of like the dude with the shirt off who can play guitar? And yeah, I think that there's, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm essentializing a bit, right? But like, at the same time, Right. You know, I still remember like moments, uh, some of my favorite moments and, and kind of, you know, just flashes of memories from my working life. Right. Or moments in the warehouse or moments when, you know, I worked at like a Barnes and Noble and like we had closed down for the day. And so we had that hour right between closing and like mm-hmm. everyone leaving where we were restocking shelves and shit. And mm-hmm. the guy in the music section would just play something for all of us. And you know you just always have those moments right and i think my dad really helped uh, implant this in me because he would always like play his records and he would tell us he's like listen for this like moment right now like just a guitar riff right or right. uh something like that that just um you it, you find it so hard to explain Uh, but you just feel like something uh, primordial in you has been uh, scratched, right? Or something, you know, that you didn't know was there is suddenly yawning to kind of uh, connect with whatever it just heard coming out of the speakers or whatever it just read, right? You know, in this kind of collection of uh, lines in a poem or something like that. And, and, you know, not to, not to get kind of like too uh, philosophical about it, but like, you know, I guess I've been calling whatever that thing is, right. The literary, just because I'm a a literary nerd. Right. But I, (laughs) the whole, the whole like thing that I tried to stress to my students back when I was, you know, getting my PhD and teaching kind of literature and, and I would always try to teach like literature in very non-literary ways. Right. So like, I think my most uh, kind of popular class was a class where we were talking about the 2016 election, and I was like, "Let's talk about what is literary about this election, like, or how we can use literary analysis to understand what the fuck is going on, why Trump appeals to people, why Clinton doesn't, like, and and I guess to to kind of bring it back to the podcast, right? is um, hopefully all these threads are coming together as I'm talking, but like, <laughs> you know, the thing the, the thing that I'm trying to get at, right, is that I, I very much feel like, or I approach kind of this podcast, and I listen to podcasts the same way, including yours. Like, I listen to them in a very similar way that I do uh, when I read books, right, is like I'm looking for and and I really appreciate and savor those moments when, you know, just in a conversation between you and your friend or in like a clip that a worker has sent in, you know, to talk about, you know, their, their experience working during the pandemic, right, there are moments where you can hear like a tremor in their voice or they just use kind of like word selection in in a striking way right or they they you know mention a memory that really kind of resonates with you like there's something in there that's both like exciting and and just just full of emotion that uh, like I guess that's what I'm chasing right because that's the stuff that makes me feel less alone that makes me feel more connected to people and that to your point about marks, it makes me feel less alienated from myself and from other human beings, right? Yeah, it, yeah. It makes me feel like I want to break out of whatever kind of box capitalism has put me in that keeps me from having these kinds of conversations with people or asking these kinds of questions of them. Like, I think that's what Marx, the young Marx especially, really meant by alienation, right, is like the things that – Capitalism imposes upon us the the kinds of relationships that we have to one another, that we have to our work and our jobs and our lives and our houses, like all the ways that we are made to feel less connected to people and the world around us than we actually are. And I think that the longer we go living like that, the easier it is to forget, you know, that that we were We are more connected and that we were meant for more than this. But it's in those literary moments when, you know, a certain song like has chords that just really kind of wake wake up my soul. Right. Or like a conversation on a podcast really speaks to that thing in me that. You know, that thing that I miss, even if I never knew that I knew what it was. Right. But it's just it, it, it opens that thing up. And for me, that thing is the is the thing that Marx was trying to describe when he was talking about alienation under capitalism.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I think that um, I mean, to that point of alienation and capitalism, I think that maybe Marx was also getting to a sort of potency in the world and, uh, obviously like a sense of belonging as well. Um, but if you are a person that, um, has no money and you walk around the world, it's difficult to feel that you belong. And it's also difficult for you to feel your own potency in society. Um, it's as if these buildings were not built for for you. These people are not, they're, they're strangers to you. And, um, And there are no possibilities. Um, it is a limitation of possibilities. Um, so, and, and for me, I mean, I, like you, you know, when I, when I read or when I listen to podcasts, I'm, I'm trying to reach a point that it does some soul, soul stirring for sure. Um, but to me, it's like a Christmas present or something, man. It's like opening a box and you don't know what's inside and it's, a way of thinking or a way of seeing that you haven't encountered before and it it's it's something new um which which that's that's just a big part of it for me too is that um you know I'll listen to a lot of philosophy podcasts and stuff just because I I'm I'm yearning like I'm looking for things to prove me wrong or looking for things to say hey you know you could refine this way of thinking here you know? um, And I, am not afraid of debate because I, I like, I want to be forced to reconsider things Um, because I, I, and it comes down to, uh, I guess the way you've called it, like the literary um, I have something kind of similar on my end where I just, I just, I call it a profound relationship with reality. Um, And and to that end uh, you know, I just, in the same way that I want to be present and I want to be uh, here in the moment and experience the full sensations of of what is happening moment to moment, um, I also want to be in touch with with reality and the way things operate, and uh, and, and part of that is understanding, uh, you know, the economic modes that we uh, that we currently live under, but also, uh, taking that information and applying it towards other areas, um, so that you can make more informed, I don't want to say informed, but I guess life decisions, make more informed decisions. And and that could be based on your own capacity for empathy. That could be, um, wanting to carve out a way of life that is non-harmful to anyone around you. That, that could be, I don't know, that could be, Going vegetarian or whatever, but whatever it needs to happen in order for you to reach a place to where <clears throat> you feel that you are, um, I guess I don't really have the words for it, but that you, in the way that it, it it that it doesn't take moral calculation to make you a moral person, but it's the constant curation of a moral way of life and thinking and speaking that that it's a curation process over time. Um, you know that's that's where i come from and 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 all of this stuff is that it's all interrelated it's all kind of an alchemy and uh and it's all they're all linked and they interlock so yeah
1: no absolutely and like and i want to i want to kind of like um aim that you know like uh, a as, as we kind of round things uh, out a little bit I want to kind of like zero take that and zero in on like your podcast and and this podcast but I guess like before the the last thing I wanted to kind of say on on this right is like you know when you talked about Christmas right like that really that really kind of made me think about I don't know what to call it if it's like a thought experiment but it's like you know just one of those things that you do in your head that you've been doing for as long as you can remember um but you actually don't know if you've ever act if talked talked about it out loud right <clears throat> like um you know i know that one thing that i remember doing as a kid and i still do to this day is like when i'm crying when i'm incredibly sad uh as a kid i i used to go into the bathroom and see if like even while i was crying if i could still smile because i think somewhere when i was a kid
0: hmm. the thought
1: came across my mind that if i got too sad i would never be happy again i like i would i would forget wow. how to be happy and so like to this day, like, uh, there, there's still times where, like, you know, yeah, if, like, I'm, I'm crying and, and, like, it's just kind of a reflex. Like, if I see my reflection, I'll see if I still have the capacity to smile. But, but the other, the, the, the main thing that I was thinking about in that vein, right, is, is for years, right, I've had this kind of thought experiment in my mind where I, I guess I just think about it as, like, is, you know, things I'll miss about this place, right? And by that, I guess I mean life and uh like i guess the the reason it's like a thought experiment is because like the way i'm imagining in my head is like i i think about things that i will miss when i'm dead when like the kind of paradox is that you know you won't be around to actually miss them right but i just right. it's a it's a way that i try to kind of center myself and and appreciate the things that you know really really just for me i think looking back on life made made life worth living and and brought joy to me. And, and I think really that, that rush of, of experiencing like the kind of moment that we're on this, this planet, uh, in history. Right. And so like one of the, one of the things that, you know, I guess there, there's a long list. I feel like I've jotted them down, you know, in notebooks over the years, but like, you know, one is like, like you said, like, you know, the holidays, like the feeling of when you were a kid, like just that kind of nostalgic vibe that, as you get older, you feel like you can never capture again, but just that kind of excitement uh, leading up to the holidays. Um, Other things for me were like playing basketball with my brothers or with my friends uh, late in, like at that moment when the sun was almost going down, uh, you were drenched in sweat, but it just started to cool down and, and you just felt very alive. And another one is like that feeling when you hear a new song and it just connects with you and you just like, you know, for for like a window of, you know, sometimes it varies, right? For a window of like a day until you play the song 50 times and then it gets old. But there's just that exhilaration of, like you said, something new connecting with you in a way that really just like excites you, that makes you think uh, a lot of like, amazing things in your head because the song has like allowed you to it's just you know I, I guess that's not like anything that we could really like take and apply to other areas of this conversation but i guess it was just something that i realized i'd never actually <laughs> said kind of out loud but like when i yeah. when i think back the that those moments of like coming across new songs and and feeling that sense of excitement that's one of the things that i'll really miss about this place
0: yeah, you know that that feeling when you're driving and your favorite song comes on or something, and you sing along with it. I feel like that is one of the greatest feelings in the world. Um, and, and likewise, when you when you play music and you know you are not really thinking when you play music, you're just doing it, and you get the feeling like nothing else is more important. In a way, you know, um, if only for those, you know, few sort of moments but it, the point is is that like I also in the political realm I you know I would I'm very upset that because I I dedicated my life to music you know I wanted to do that I wanted to focus on it I'm like yes this is this is the most important feeling and that's what I Thought when I was uh, younger and why I decided to go to school, why I decided to move across the country to Nashville, why I interned and almost starved working for a, a big gaudy studio in Nashville for a while. Um, it was a lot of, uh, effort and stuff that's gone into it, um, and wouldn't you know, we just can't have fucking nice things, man, because there's fascists <laughs> out there, you know, and at the end of the day, it takes a lot of resources and, you know, for me to be able to sit down at a table and write a song. It takes at food, water, uh, you know, leisure time, uh, it, a roof over my head uh, and an, an inspiring instrument like I, I feel a bit of guilt for having the time, resources and and things to be able to do the things that I do. Um, and so that, that weighs on me a little bit, but the other side of that is that, you know, it, it, not in like a liberal sort of way, like I miss going to brunch, but like in a leftist sort of like, we need to combat these evildoers in our society. Uh, whether that's, you know, physical confrontation, whether that's, uh, you know, deplatforming, platforming whether that's just anti-fascism in general. Um, part of the motivation for me is like, you son of a bitch, I should be making music right now, or I should be creating art. I should be forwarding these projects, which are, which I've dedicated my life to and you are taking time and energy away from that. So at least in my studies and my readings and my, uh, in, in whatever I do to, to, to learn, equip myself to, to greet the day and to, um, and to combat fascism or be anti-fascist in my own capacities for that. Um, at least I can get a little bit more capacity for empathy out of these studies and, and, and practices and alchemy and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's a bit political for me too, in a way. So.
1: Hell yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, like this is, uh, you know, I, I, I'd love to, I guess like by way of like talking about kind of the upcoming season, right? Like sure. this is, you know, I, I, mentioned that my mom, you know, was the one who really kind of taught me to, to love and appreciate art. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, I actually, <laughs> she's the only Alvarez now, now that my oldest brother, Jesse has finally been on the show. She's the only one who hasn't been on the show. And so I'm going to, I'm going to do a bonus up with episode with her soon so that we could, um, you know, talk about uh, working people in art and stuff like that. But I think that what you just said, right, is like a really compelling kind of argument that we need to be making more more often, right? It's something that I've heard kind of really brilliant comrades and artists like Molly Crabapple kind of say at different points too, right? And I think, um, you know, like, because w- when I think about it, right, like, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you, you want to kind of, pose the question to people, it's like, if you didn't have to work just to pay rent, right, what would you do with your free time? Right. And it's like I said, going back to our question of alienation, right? It's like when you kind of ask those questions or when someone says something that makes you ask that question in your mind, that's when you start to realize all that has been taken from you, even if you didn't know it until that point, and you yeah. start to realize all that this life could be and all that you could have, right? And that we deserve, in fact, to have that type of artistic, creative, you know, like expression, right? You know, even if we don't, even if we don't become like, you know, like a, a platinum-selling artist, like people should have time to create. They should have time to kind of farm yeah. and grow and do do non productive quote unquote like labor that they need to do just to get by right it really it really highlights yeah just the i guess the kind of the inhumanity of the the world that we live in no matter kind of how banal it seems on the surface and i guess to that to that end right i mean given that that's like a, a mainstay of this show right is like the more that you listen to workers talk about their lives, the more you realize that we've been handed uh, and presented this kind of shadow reality where we only see each other as kind of, you know, People with name tags or people who do a service for, you know, for, for charge, right? But not kind of the same types of complex human beings that, that we think we are, right? And so the whole political goal of this show, and I, that I think is very much connected to your show, your work, and, and the work of so many other folks that, um, that are out there kind of doing this work, right? That's kind of like one of the real main driving goals. But, um, you know, I guess I wanted to ask um you know now that that we brought you on board and we're gearing up uh you and I for the next season and you've had kind of a chance to kind of dig into the back catalog and we've talked a bit about it. I guess I just wanted to kind of ask you, you know, like how do you think we can use this show um you know to to kind of further, right, all the the kind of philosophical and political like ends that we've been talking about, like how do we how do you think we can make that more concrete with, the with what we do here?
0: Um, well, I, I really overwhelmingly sort of agree with the, uh, sentiment that we need to display the humanity of workers. Um, and, and that is more than, I mean, I, I, the lived experience of workers is one thing. Learning about their occupations is one thing, um, but what I've really enjoyed in the past is is the sort of primacy of the hu- of the humanity of workers. Um, you know, in the episode, like more than just name tags, it does it does a really good job of emphasizing that. But I would love to to, to bring that more to the front as much as possible um, because you know, so there was a conversation the other day that I had uh, with a friend of mine who said something like the working class is the working class, not because they've chosen to be. Um, one would argue that they would uh, opt into living into in luxury if they were able to do that. Um, but working class people are working class people because they can do, they are doing all they can to, um, to provide for themselves, their family, and society has necessarily, because of, certain conditions, uh, force them into this position. Um, and so within that context, um, I, I think that we can reach a, a really sort of critical critique of the system. And, uh, we can also for the, the project of displaying humanity of the workers, um, through things like the voice message thing that we've set up um, things like, I mean, just hearing from workers, even if we just, I mean, this, the reason why this show is is amazing is because it really centers the voice of the workers and, and that's great. Um, And that's, that's what I, I mean, there are so many ways, but if I could name just one, it would be really centering the humanity uh, of the workers, um, their aspirations, their, their, their struggles, their, um, their moments of joy, um, and even, even some frustration, you know, um, it's, um, but again, I, I, the show does a great job of that too, which is, which is why I'm here and why I'm excited as well.
1: Hell yeah. No, I mean, like I, I, you know, as we've talked about off recording, right. I mean, I wholeheartedly agree with that. And, and I think, um, you know, working together and continuing to kind of work in conversation with listeners and supporters who are always giving us suggestions, right? That, I mean, that's the most exciting part about doing this, right? Is like, is feeling like it is like a a collaborative process. Like, you know, I made it an interview based show for a reason, right? It's because I didn't right. just want to do this by myself. That seemed like very boring. Um, and <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that you're exactly right. Like, you know, I've we I've tried over the past few years to kind of incorporate more elements like that, right? Like we we just did a mailbag episode over the summer where we asked listeners to send in like questions, and and me and my siblings answered them. Like I want to do more stuff like that, but but yeah, also like you said, like um, Jules set up for us like this voice message, um, kind of uh, uh, what's the word? Um, you know, like a inbox, right? A voice message inbox that um, we'll we'll link to in the show notes here, and we've now got it up on um, our Twitter and Facebook. So if uh, if folks want to leave us voice messages, we wanna we wanna make that a regular part of the show, right? Like, um, you know, it doesn't it doesn't even have to be about the show itself. You know, if you just have like a quick story about your job, or about yourself and your family, about organizing that you're involved in. Uh, about an experience you've had listening to the show like we just we really want to make each episode like Jules was saying like yeah like a a, something that really centers kind of the voices of the community that we're trying to build here and the community that we hope we're working towards you know not just with this show but with kind of the broader effort of people who are really trying to kind of uh, tap into and, and honor and lift up you know the the humanity of ourselves and our and our fellow workers right and part yeah. of that you know also goes with like you know adjusting the the other parts of the show that you know are have probably been more products of just uh you know the way that the show was built right i mean jules i've talked to you about this and i know uh, our listeners uh, have heard me kind of talk out loud about this over years like trying to figure out what the right balance is but like i've never known fully what to do with the introductions Um, because like, if you, I mean, if you go back to the first season, right, like where I was still just like trying to get 200 people to listen to each episode, I felt like I had to write like an essay at the beginning of each episode, like convincing them that they should listen to the next two hours of me talking with a worker because I knew how hard how much I was asking of them and how little people had been conditioned to actually listen to a conversation with a you know working person that they'd ever met for that long and so I always felt like for the especially for the first two seasons I always felt like I had to plead with people and and convince them that that they should keep listening um, and I had to kind of justify the Existence of the show, and on top of that, right? I was always in that growth mindset, right? You know, we've been we've been growing uh, bit by bit over all these years um, to kind of get the the listeners that we have and the subscribers that we have. And so I was always in the mindset of like, okay, we've got we've got some new listeners, we've got some new followers, like so I have to kind of explain to them what the show is about. But I think we've been, as, as you, you know, have rightly pointed out, it's like we've been around long enough. We've established like, uh, you know, our core listenership long enough that like, you know, we don't need that anymore. And, you know, we can move towards kind of, yeah, centering the discussions, centering the voicemails, centering the, the folks that, that I'm talking to, right? Of course, there will still be a lot of opportunities for me to, to interject with my thoughts, to kind of talk more about. You know, political stuff on the bonus episodes or the special episodes. It'll be a nice, it'll be a nice mix that I think will will bring out the the parts that people like most about this show, um, without kind of unnecessarily uh, long intros or or anything like that. And I guess the last thing I wanted to say on that, right to your point, which is is something that is. I feel has always been latent in the show, but that I I'm excited to kind of bring more to the fore as as you and I work on the next season. Mm -hmm. Right. Is like, you know, in terms of centering that humanity. Right. Of of our fellow workers. Right. You know what I've tried to kind of do to to make good on that promise. Right. Is is is, you know. I mean, even in the titles of the episode, right? I I title from the first season, I title the episodes after the person I'm talking to, right? Right. I I ask them to introduce themselves, right? I I make sure that we spend a good chunk of time just talking about them and their backstory before we start talking about their work and, and, you know, struggles on the job and stuff like that. But I guess, like, the thing to tease out, right, is like, is it's the person, right? It's the human being who's really the subject of this interview, not the job that they're doing, right? And and so the job is is going to be an essential ingredient of that, right? The worker side of ourselves is going to be a huge kind of, you know, and, and continuing kind of focus for this show. But I guess just it's about kind of shifting the frame a little bit so that, like, what you're seeing and what you're hearing, right, is a – human being like yourself with a complex kind of history uh interior life you know like who has hopes dreams uh struggles and frustrations just like all of us who is who is living this life and who is doing this work right you know like it, it, yeah. if that makes sense
0: yeah you know i uh, you know I, I think obviously that our our hearts um are with the working class and are always on the side of society's most vulnerable and the disenfranchised and those people who the system has failed. And so if anything, I would, um, I would be open to sort of widening that lens a little bit to maybe having like, uh, I mean, I, I would, I would love to, and I'm, I'm just throwing this out here on the, on the air with you right now, but to have to have like an episode where we specifically feature the unhoused Mm -hmm. Um, and we speak to them about what their kind of lived daily experience is and how the system is inhospitable, um, to say the least. Um, you know, um, uh, you know, I also, I mean, that's just one idea, but I, like I said, I mean, I, I'm. I, my, I'm always going to take the side of, of those who the system has failed and the most vulnerable. And I'm a big believer in that, uh, what Cornell West says and allowing the suffering to speak. Um, And so I I think as long as we follow that sort of shared intention, um, I think that the content will continue to be enriching Um, because ultimately at the end of the day, the reason why you were writing essays at the beginning of of, of your episodes, um, was because you were trying to make a promise of enrichment in a way like this will be enriching to you if you just listen. And here's all the reasons why when I think that anything that we focus, that we stay on focus with, with our shared intention will not only be profound, what will be enriching and, uh, will be valuable to the listenership for sure.
1: Hell yeah. No, I one hundred percent agree. And like, you know, your 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 point about, you know, centering voices of unhoused folks and, and I one hundred percent want to do that as well as kind of working with comrades to kind of bring more voices of folks who are incarcerated or were formerly incarcerated. Right. And, and on top of that, right. Cause it's, it's all, it's all connected I guess is what we're saying, right. Is that, you know, because if you make a uh, kind of humanity and human struggle and, and kind of the, the human will towards community, right. That, that we all kind of have somewhere in us and that we, with the show are trying to speak to and, and that we have a very, you know, express political aim in doing, right? What that means is that just like with the jobs that we do, right, we have to kind of search for uh, that humanity and connectivity and common struggle beyond the sort of boxes that um, kind of this system keeps us in and that, that those boxes kind of prevent us from seeing those things in the first place. And so whether that's like, Learning to see the people delivering your mail as, you know, people going through their own shit who you probably have a lot more in common with than you do a celebrity or a billionaire, right? Or if it has to do with, um, yeah, seeing people, you know, who are unhoused as somehow less worthy of, you know, dignity and shelter, which they're not, right? You know, breaking out of those sorts of, like, systemically um, adjusted, uh, like, lenses that that kind of... Give us the ability to to filter out right all the kind of pain and 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 injustice that you know if, if you were a child you would just say like this is wrong this shouldn't happen this should this, we should fix this right. right but on top of that right like in terms of thinking about the politics of all this right I also really want to kind of break. I, I know I've said this from the beginning of the show, and we've done kind of little, uh, we've made little steps in this direction, but I really, really want to kind of accelerate that, which is like, you know, if this show is going to fulfill that original promise that you were talking about, the promise that I felt I had to constantly make to people, um, they, I think you're spot on about that. Like, the idea was like, listen, I promise you. Having this conversation changed me. And if you listen to it, it will change you as well. So please just listen to it. Like to fulfill that promise, right, and to fulfill the promise of kind of building working class solidarity through these kinds of conversations, through kind of giving workers a platform to share their stories, that needs to be fundamentally internationalist in nature, Right And and, and so that means that like, yeah, like it's not just workers within our borders. Right. Or workers uh, who are citizens. Right. Who who matter. Right. You know, we are a global working class, you know, like fighting a global ruling class um, that if you fight that on nationalistic kind of grounds, you're going to lose because you're fighting something that isn't limited to those same national boundaries. And this came up. Uh, like very front and center back in season one when we did the the big series on the gm layoffs right because mm. like i did a I did like these compilation episodes with workers from factories in uh detroit in uh, youngstown uh ohio but also in canada right And because i wanted to show that like you know workers on a on you know different sides of the U.S.-Mexico and U.S.-Canadian border, right? This was a struggle that involved all of them um, and pitted them against a kind of common enemy, and that enemy was in turn trying to pit the workers on either sides of those borders against each other, right? And so, you know, there was that. There was also, like, the big episode we did this past season on the French general strike that was really, like, something I was very proud of. I want to do more shit like that right the The idea for this show was was to build it up so that it was a show that highlighted the voices and struggles of workers around the world like even if we needed to get you know spot translators and interpreters and stuff like that like that's 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 the real pie in the sky kind of goal, but i I think that it's another thing to kind of throw in this pot that that you know we should be building towards,
0: yeah, I mean. However we can chip away at this sort of hyper individualist uh, culture um, I'm all for it and and when I say uh, hyper individualist I'm not trying to eliminate individualisms I think it's perfectly sort of reconcilable with the collective um, but I but I think that however we chip away at that hyper individuality we're also breaking through to um, we're breaking through the noise of what other, what the working class has to deal with this sort of constant fight or flight, adrenals pumping work to do, uh, always under, uh, a threshold of, of stress, which has its health effects and, um, creates its own tensions, uh, in, in the work in the lives of the working class. Um, if we can chip away at the individuality uh, towards the collective and foster and curate uh, working class solidarity, especially international uh, working class solidarity. I think that we are also cutting through a lot of the noise and and uh, forging and forming and bringing to fruition uh, a sort of community where everyone can can kind of see that they're not they're not alone. They are not individuals in this struggle. That we are collectively struggling and our efforts must must be collective as well and that obviously extends beyond national borders for sure um so yeah i'm right there with you 100% oh
1: yeah man um i'm i'm all pumps for this and you know i guess this 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 all just goes to to say you know to anyone of our patrons listening right now right you know please take us up on this you know if we really really want to hear from you if you have like you know workers that you want us to talk to or or topics you want us to cover right or if you have a voice message that you want um us to play on the air like please uh engage with us on this because you know that's that's really the direction that we want to be moving in um it's the it's the kind of stuff that has always gotten me the most excited in the past when when our patrons and our listeners and our followers you know give us leads or kind of give us suggestions that we can then kind of incorporate into the show right it, it really really makes it feel like a collaborative project worth doing that, you know, we're make we're building to reflect kind of what this community wants. Um and, and that's a really kind of special thing. So I just wanted to put in one final plug for that. And um yeah, I mean, just really, really emphasize how excited I am to work with Jules on this next uh, phase of the podcast. Um, and I don't think we could have, you know, been lucky enough to find a, a better person for the gig. And so I'm super excited about that. And uh, yeah, Jules, I guess before before we kind of hop off, I wanted to kind of uh, ask you a little bit about your podcast and what you're you're hoping to kind of do with that, uh, and moving forward and what, what listeners, um, you know, if they're not listening already, which they should, you know, what they have to look forward to.
0: Well, you know, the podcast started out as like, uh, as a philosophy podcast, I wanted to sort of detail, uh, a lot of things about like moral theory and ethics. Um, and, and don't ask me why I'm so nerdy about that stuff. I, I, I love studying (laughs) that stuff, you know? Um, so, You know, here I was and I was trying to explain like who Immanuel Kant is and how he's related to Bentham and utilitarianism, or at least that's a separate part of the moral theory pie chart and uh, talk about uh, theology and how to engage with it in a non dogmatic sort of way way, and and how this all, you know, kind of molds together into a, a moral theory, a moral calculus, if you will. And, um, and, and this was during the pandemic. And then once the, once the George Floyd stuff happened, I, I was like, I'd be insane or crazy or tone deaf or all three in order, if I didn't speak about current events at all. Um, so I had an episode on, uh, on on the uprisings that happened, uh, after that. And, when we, when it came around to like July 4th, I released a special episode entitled Thomas Jefferson was a bastard, um, and went through and dispelled some sort of American ideological sort of, um, historical falsehood falsehoods at that point. Um, so there was, there was this mixture of philosophy, current events and, and, uh, and, and some history in there. Um, but the direction that I've taken it, uh, over the last, uh, few episodes, um, I've, I've been specifically sort of examining, uh, cause I, you know, like yourself, Max, I'm biracial and, and I felt that, and this was something that I, and I don't know if you would agree to this, or maybe you could even answer this for me or something. I don't know. But, um, I, you know, over the, a couple of years ago, I started reading through a bunch of, uh, W.E.B. Du Bois and, and, and he really changed the way that I viewed, um, a lot of things and primarily that, um, you know, his concept of dual identities and, 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 and also reading some Franz Fanon started to make me understand why, um, why growing up as like a half Latino person, I didn't want to learn Spanish when I was younger, you know? And it's like, I was like, oh, wait a second. I, I am a colonized person and that border did move over us. And, um, and, and I, at least for the, in growing up, I thought it was like my job to assimilate into American culture and for lack of a better sort of, I guess just, you know, sort of assimilate into whiteness mm-hmm. in a way. Um, and so I, I, started examining that and in the process I was like, you know, I have, my friend Brandon, who is kind of opposite of me, whereas like he is um, not opposite, he's, he's, uh, he's not Latino, but he was raised by a Latino family, but he's got red hair and he's, he's really white. But his last name is Villarreal. So he grew up in these sort of conflicting worlds of uh, Hispanic culture, being the only white dude. And then I grew up with like, you know, I even I even told him during that conversation that, you know, my, my actual first name is Julio and my middle name is Saldana. And then my last name is Taylor. Cause my dad is a Gavacho. So it it's it, it like, I have this weird thing going on with my name where it's like, you know, you should have the American first name and the Spanish last name, but instead I have this two names that are Spanish and then a really white last name. So like Julio Saldania Taylor, it just sounds weird and it's always sounded weird to me. And, um, it sounds like it's like a, it's two thirds matador name or something. <laughs> um, so, uh, so this, this concept of dual identity that I gained from Du Bois and, and reading, uh, more of his work, uh, combined with some Franz Fanon, um, really led me to seek out and have socially conscious conversations with folks that I've, known for a very long time that I had never previously had socially concert, con- conscious, uh, conversations with in the past. So I have a two part episode with my friend, Sam, who is biracial and he's half black, but he grew up in the Hamptons as like one of the only, you know, like the only kid of color around. Um, and, and then my friend Brandon who grew up in the Rio Grande Valley, uh, who was the white kid named Villarreal, and and through those conversations, we, we sort of uh, talked about some of the unique struggles of, of of growing up and understanding that you like your skin color doesn't look the same color as your mother's. And, you know, my friend Sam had to have his mother used to, you know, when he was a kid, he used to break. She used to break out the baby pictures and say things like, no, this is proof that, you know, you're mine. And and I know that there's I I, I think that the the struggle of biracial people, and I, I don't want to call it the struggle, but the sort of unique contradictions of their lived experience sometimes get overlooked, um, and so that's that's part of the the greater conversation, uh, the arc of conversations in, in the podcast, and then there's also the other side of that, which was the examining, the examination or critical sort of interrogation of like. Uh, Of of one's own uh, mortality, Um, knowing that I had some people in my life that entrusted me to share their stories, and and uh, and with that, I I wanted to examine and hopefully illustrate uh, the way that facing uh, mortality rechanges or reforms your life, and how you are fundamentally, qualitatively, a different person after that. Uh, Because I think that there is and, and, and this is kind of related to current events as well, just because I think that there's like a, there's like a dark cloud of grief that hangs over this country right now. And in our national conversations, it's, it's grim and it's, it's, there's not a lot of hope there. Um, but hopefully through those conversations where uh, hope was found uh, in, in the survival of a couple of my friends through cancer and a liver transplant. I, I, you know, in, in, I was trying to create an, an, an enriching episode, a couple enriching episodes that would provide some sort of hope or a positive outlook, despite that low hanging cloud of grief, which is, which we're more present to than uh, at some times and others at this point. And um, you know, the last episode I did with uh, a YouTube, a uh, YouTuber person, uh, Peter Coffin, uh, was specifically talking about Malthusian theory, because I feel like, um, it's only natural for conversations about socialism to happen in a time when we have a recession, when we have economic disparity, wealth disparity, when we have, uh, you know, these sort of ways the system is failing the working class, but it also, I, I think that, uh, when times get stressful and, uh, and, and neoliberalism, like always it tells us or informs us that, resources are scarce. I think the topic of overpopulation comes up and I, I, it's never really parsed out in a way overpopulation that is, is never parsed out in a way that they're very mealy mouths with the logical conclusions of saying there's too many people, you know? Um, so, so Peter and I kind of dissected, um, the works of Thomas Malthus, the original guy who popu- or popularized uh, the theories of overpopulation, and uh, really thought out and worked our way through uh, those social critiques, and just to determine that they're all bullshit, really. Um, but yeah, so there's there's a variety of sort of socially topical uh, things that I've spoken about on the podcast, and I'm going to continue on with. Um, uh, trying to show and trying to illustrate, um, I, I, you know, I haven't to my, uh, I'm just gonna say this, man, I, I, I've got 11 episodes now and I haven't interviewed a woman yet. And so I'm sorry for that. And the next guest is a woman and, um, I'm, I'm trying to, she, she's remarkable because she's, um, she is a person that has worked as a, as I want to say as a therapist or as like, a, a group leader for, um for men who have uh who were domestically violent and i think that's a really really crazy angle um because it takes a tremendous amount of empathy and compassion from her to have even dealt with folks like that in society and she's also um she has her masters in liberation theology as well um so it's it's these people that do amazing things that seem like they should be uh, empathically beyond the call of like normal everyday life, you know, those folks that have uh, that are, that just seem like empathy warriors. Um, I, I, I would really like to do a couple episodes. I have a couple people in mind and one of those I know for sure is happening. I'm working on the second one. Um, But I, I guess I'm going to continue on trying to center aspects of the human condition, and and that's what the podcast has been uh, attempting to do in a lot of ways. Um, but also provide you know a sort of philosophical uh, background for those things, um, like where these sort of strains of thoughts originate from, and uh, like I did a whole uh, episode. It was about twenty-five minutes long. It was one of the shortest episodes I did, but I, I kind of traced through um, continental philosophy and existentialism all the way to like Gilles Deleuze. Um, but just I don't know. So it's part philosophy nerding out, and it's but it's also trying to center the humanity of of people as well, uh, which is obviously what attracted me to uh, to working people in a lot of ways. So. Well, that's it for episode 12 of no easy answers be sure to check out the working people podcast wherever you get your podcasts and i will leave a link to the podcast as well as the twitter handles for both max and working people in the show notes as always if you'd like to send any comments concerns criticisms or vitriol you can send those directly to no easy answers podcast at gmail.com support for no easy answers comes from listeners just like you so if you have not done so already please consider becoming the next supporter of no easy answers at www www.anchor.fm forward slash no easy answers and click the support button until next time take care all my guys gals and non-binary pals